Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. Welcome to episode 125 of the Garden DC podcast. In this episode, we talk with Ashley Thomas, also known as the Mocha Gardener and author of How to Become a Gardener, Find Empowerment in Creating Your Own Food Security. The plant profile is on Brazilian Verbena, and we share what's going on in the garden, as well as some upcoming local gardening events in the What's New segment. We also introduce a new segment, The Last Word. This episode, we're joined by Ashley Thomas. She is the author of How to Become a Gardener, the face behind the Mocha Gardener brand, and a health coach. Welcome, Ashley. Hi, thank you for having me here. Great to have you, Ashley. So uh, we're going to talk all about your new book and the empowerment behind it and creating your own food security and some of the great ideas you have in there to share some of the gardening lessons that we learn as we go from a beginner gardener right to our arc to experienced gardener and what those can teach us about life as well Um, but before we jump into all that we want to talk about you ashley and how you got into gardening so i always like to ask our guests were they born with a green thumb and chlorophyll in their veins I love that question um, because I can definitively say no. Um, Unfortunately, even though I feel like a plant sometimes, I was not born uh, with chlorophyll in my veins. Um, I will say that uh, like a garden, I I just kind of evolved over time. Um, And garden and food is connected. Uh, It's intertwined. So, you know, the more I begin to kind of explore food and, and, and really just kind of like where my food is coming from, uh, I kind of dove into really exploring the garden as a means of growing food. I've always been a nature person. I've always loved kind of being out, playing in the dirt, uh, exploring amongst the trees. That's that I know I can definitively say that I have, you know, been that way since I was very Mm -hmm. little. Um, But being being officially a gardener, no, that's that's kind of matured and and evolved over time. Hmm. And when did you get your first garden that you could say was your own to plant in? Oh, I love that question because. Uh, it's it's really just a, a sweet story uh, in, in, to me it is and, and maybe to others who are just starting out. Um, I remember I was in an apartment and uh, my husband, uh, we were not married at the time. Well, yes, yes, yes. We, we were married um, when we came to North Carolina. This is about six years ago. Uh, we had a, a small studio because um, we had you know, just moved here and I wanted a garden so bad. And, uh, I remember he got this little kit for me and, um, basically purchased a bunch of different seeds for herbs that I could grow. And I was going to use my windowsill, um, to 
uh, plant a variety of herbs uh, just to kind of have like this little indoor garden. So I like to say that that was really my very first garden. And um, also back when I was um, in college years ago, I kind of took over the greenhouse. Um, I was doing some plant research at the time. And then I was really curious just about growing various herbs and, and, and really just kind of, you know, how to effectively get something to grow, how to get a, a seed to not just germinate, but to, to flourish. And so I took over the greenhouse at my university and uh, also grew, uh, started growing uh, plants and, and different herbs there. But I think to kick off kind of the gardener that I am here, it all started in that small loft. Oh, excellent. Uh, do you remember a few of the herbs that you grew and were they a success for you on that windowsill? <laughs> oh, wait till you get a kick out of this because I think this is how everyone starts. Mm -hmm. You pour too many seeds. <laughs> I definitely, um, I was growing uh, oregano, thyme, um, and these were, you know, just seeds. I didn't do any kind of deep research on the seed varieties out there. I just, you know, my husband saw some seeds in the, in the grocery store one day and purchased them for me. So I was really trying to grow basil, things like uh, the herbs that you, the culinary herbs that we, we typically uh, used from day to day in our meals. Um, but that was when, when I had my, my little mini garden on the windowsill. Uh, but back in, in, in college, um, I was growing things, some of the medicinal herbs like, um, you know, stinging nettle, um, mint, um, and really looking kind of at the properties of those things as my independent research. Um, also, grape uh, burdock. And uh, it was just, it, it opened up a world of, of really just curiosity for me, being able to kind of explore both, you know? Hmm. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. I can almost smell some of those right now as we're speaking. Oh, yeah. Nice. So uh, what made your transition to growing to teaching others about growing? Yeah. So that is where kind of, um, you know, where my community work comes in where I, you know, what, what made me even start, uh, this gardening journey that, that you see on my social media and in my book now. And it's really just, we wanted uh, greater access to, to foods that, uh, were more nutrient dense. And so I was used to working. I had been working out in the community really addressing issues around food security and some of the rural communities uh, in North Carolina and South Carolina. And um, one thing I, I just, you know, got so frustrated, uh, you know, with just the lack of access to diverse food options. Um, and there are many reasons for that. But I, you know, saw an opportunity and I remembered, you know, what I was able to grow in the greenhouse. Uh, the, you know, when I poured like 50 seeds into a little jar back at the, you know, <laughs> mini garden at the loft, I remembered, you know, hey, I could produce something good if I, if I grow it. And so I had always wanted a garden in our home. Um, so when we purchased our home, um, my husband, Tyler, um, built all of the garden beds and 
I'd done research on, you know, all of the things that we wanted to grow. I was a planner and I, and, and I'm really good with organizing things. So we kind of utilized those skills, uh, you know, married those skills together to make our garden happen. And I wanted to really not just grow food for ourselves, but for our family as well. Those, you know, teaching them, you know, uh, other options besides uh, some of the processed foods and perhaps some of the fast foods that were readily available in the area, showing them other options that were that you could grow right there in your backyard. Um, but it also served as a means for me to kind of teach it through practice. So, uh, you know, not not only was I able to kind of start our garden journey and, and really just grow prolifically, but also to use that as a vessel to to show others what you could have access to and also the nutritious options that come out of the garden as well. Hmm, interesting. So where you are now in North Carolina, I think it's the Triangle area, correct? Yes, it's around the triangle. So we are right outside of Chapel Hill. Uh, I, I like to say we're equal distance from Chapel Hill, Durham, and Greensboro. Hmm. We're right in the middle. Yeah, and that's a, a great gardening area. Can you describe for our listeners who might be outside that area, your growing zone, and maybe a little yeah. bit about the soil and what it's like to garden there? Yeah. All right. So here in North Carolina, um, it. it it's so it's it's so interesting because the soil or the terrain can vary from uh, city to city. So you could be within the same region, but you know the city next to us has a, you know for, has, can have a different soil consistency, mm-hmm. which is uh, very interesting. Uh, we have um, a lot of uh, it's not very level here, um, so you know, we, our soil is, is really consisting of kind of clay, that red clay, once you get down a bit deeper, and sometimes it's, it's a a, a tan clay and we call that sessile clay. And what happens is uh, it can get very compacted, still very fertile, um, but you really have to cultivate and amend it in order for things to kind of grow in those grounds. Um, And it's sandy loam. uh, So we've got a bit of, of, of that sand consistency mixed with the clay. Um, I've seen people, you know, uh, successfully grow in ground, um, and you can if you amend it with compost and other amendments. Um, But it's a a fairly good uh, terrain that we have here. Now, regarding climate, I, I like to think we we get the best of of all of the stuff. <laughs> we get the heat. We get the you know the the drops in temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't see too much snow, um, uh, but at the same time, we we do get some freezing weather. So um, we're we're kind of like uh, the best of the north and the best of the south. That's how I like to describe North Carolina. And if you're familiar with hardiness zones, we are zone 7B. So we've got uh, a longer growing season, fairly, you know, long, warm weather um, and shorter winter weather. Uh, And it, it doesn't drop below, you know, 30 degrees on average. So uh, it doesn't get too cold, uh, but at the same time, it doesn't get like Texas hot here as well. Hmm. But you still have that humidity. Oh, we've got the, man, we've got the humidity and I'm sighing because I'm so glad that we're out of it, that the humidity can be 
brutal um, because we are right here on the on the east coast uh, so we're getting a lot of that uh, Atlantic water um, and in moisture um, especially during hurricane season which is uh, where we're hopefully kind of flowing out of that um, but yeah we we get some humidity we get the tornadoes we get the hurricanes um, but at the same time we, we get some pretty good spring and summer weather as well mm-hmm. and pretty consistent rains which is always nice yeah yeah and and, and, and you know sometimes it, as of more recently it's kind of ebbed and flowed a bit uh, our spring was a was a bit in uh bit interesting. We didn't get too much, as much rain as we have previously, but as a gardener, you kind of learn to kind of work with nature. So that's the fun in all of it. Mm-hmm. So let's turn now to your book and I wanted to read the full name for everybody so they have it and it's How to Become a Gardener, Find Empowerment in Creating Your Own Food Security. So it's definitely an emphasis on the food growing side of things, but you do address ornamental gardening in the book as well. I do. Yes, I I address all different types of gardening, um, as a matter of fact, um, because, you know, uh, there's there's room for all of all of the gardeners at the table, (laughs) pun intended. And maybe we should start with one of the first things you discuss in the book, which is defining a garden. And I've always had a very broad definition of garden, like, you know, one pot on a windowsill, like you described with a couple of Mm -hmm. seeds, that's a garden. Um, Mm -hmm. But how do you define garden? Yeah. So, yes, right. Um, I I, am one before telling kind of this story, you know, of, of being a gardener, you know, like what what is that? Like what, before we could even define ourselves, like what are we, you know, supposedly taking care of or being stewards of? Um, so in the book, I speak about kind of this, this greater emphasis on the gardening uh, of the garden representing an environment, a green environment. Yes. But it is comprised of more than just plants it's really an ecosystem. Um, we're in it. Uh, there are microorganisms in it. Uh, there are, you know, birds, there are, you know, um, all types of things that, that makes a garden what it is. And so, um, when we think about, you know, kind of all of these components in this one space, um, what it takes to get all of these things to thrive, that's what I think of as a garden. Um, a garden. We sometimes we we hear that it can be, you know, this this space that you can grow flowers or um, you know, many different types of garden styles and uh, you mm-hmm. know vegetables, whatever it may be. But I I think that we're I wanted to really use that opportunity to speak to the magnitude of everything um, that makes a garden living um, and all of the things that we have to take care of as gardeners. And so, you know, we think about soil health, like, why is that even a thing? There's so many different life forms in the soil. There are so many different life forms in the air. Uh, There are so many things that are working in harmony with one another 
to really create this beautiful space that we call a garden. So I, I spent some time really uh, doing a lot of research in, in understanding, you know, what that what a garden is and really what is our role in uh, in the garden, you know? And how do you define your role in the garden? Yes. Well, seeing that I believe that everything has a place in in this world, uh, a garden is very intentional. And how we as gardeners should govern ourselves is with intentionality when we enter this space. And uh, as a gardener, I am a steward. We are all stewards. We it's it's so interesting because we can get things to grow. Uh, but we are not the creator of those things. So we are simply here to nurture and cultivate and be a good steward over what already exists. And so when I think about myself as, as a gardener and when I enter this space, I want to be cognizant of everything that is working together, uh, you know, for, for the good of this space uh, and for this uh, for the thriving of this space. Um, my role is to be informed. My role is to be empathetic. My role is to also, uh, you know, be as resilient as everything else in that space. So as a gardener, that is what true stewardship is. It's respecting uh, that I am no better than any other organism in the garden. I uh, may be complex, you know, physically, but I think that everything has its own complexity. So there is a, there's a, there's a, a virtue to, to kind of being a gardener and recognizing kind of this, this humility that we should have when working with anything in, in our green spaces. I'm glad you use the word humility, Ashley, because I think that is one of the chief things gardening teaches us, right? <laughs> we, we have all the intentions, all the big dreams, and, you know, things happen. Weather happens, seeds don't germinate, you know, something that we had such high hopes for crashes down, and, and that's out of our control a lot of the time. Yes. And, you know, Kathy, I, you say, you speak about things being out of our control. And I think that that is one of the most profound things that the garden teaches us is that, you know, what does control look like and what should it look like? Um, I, you know, know that there was one uh, season a couple of years ago, I think it was um, Hurricane Maria uh, came through and uh, really just did some, some damage to our garden. And I remember things were just growing. I was so excited to harvest things. And, you know, our, you know, I had seed trays, uh, you know, started for the, for succession planning. And, and at the time I didn't have a sturdy little greenhouse, but um, everything, you know, that we had some, some serious devastation, but it was in that moment that I realized like, this is nature. And, you know, sometimes as humans, we want to control things in nature. We want things to go our way. We want a certain outcome. But I think the harmony, living in harmony with the with the life around us teaches us that even when things don't go as planned, work with it. 
you know, that's resilience. And that is the resilience that I like to speak about uh, when I'm in the community as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think humility being a great lesson and giving up full control is another great lesson. And when you talk about resilience, I think there are a lot of, I'm going to call them ex-gardeners out there who have thrown up their hands and just given up. And it's so, you know, heartbreaking to see sometimes. Sometimes it's caused by deer move into their neighborhood and devastate their garden. And they're just like, I put so much work into it. I just can't stand to see this uh, devastated again. Or as you say, a big weather event, like a hurricane coming through and not restarting. So what is that little key of resilience in you that makes you want to restart um, from scratch, even with in the face of things like this? Yeah. Well, I think um, when you think about what's the alternative, either you don't, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps it's just disappointment that we want to avoid. But see, I think it's a quote by Albert Einstein, and maybe it's someone else uh, that speaks about insanity. <laughs> insanity is doing some the, the same thing over and mm -hmm. over again and expecting different results. And so whenever, you know, we quote unquote, we, we sometimes when things don't reach that outcome that we want it to be, we assume that we failed and we don't like failure. But I believe that it's really just a, a lesson that we have to learn. And we apply it in the next season. And so as gardeners, when things don't go our way or even for the next, for the ex-gardener, it's really just kind of reconciling, you know, why be afraid of disappointment? That's part of the, that's the fun. Mm -hmm. The fun lies in the lesson of recognizing that ah, nature's bigger than us. Nature is complex. And that's okay that we don't understand it all, but you got to keep pushing. You got to find a way to, you know, even if it's a small step to get back in, I think it's really just building the determination that, uh, you know, why did I begin this in the first place? And I speak about that in the book, finding your why, uh, understanding why are you a guard? Why, why did you build a garden? Why are you a gardener? Why do you love this? Why do you, why are you in nature? And once you understand your why, oh man, it, it gets tough for failure to kind of, you know, keep you, keep you down for too long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I can see drawing on that why, and that's a great lesson. So go back to that first passion of, you know, why did you stop at that garden center and buy that flat of pansies? Like what made you do that the first time? And maybe when you recall that, that gives you the extra burst to come back and have more energy and to plant those out again. And I was just going to say another lesson um, in what you were discussing was that you are not daunted um, by hard work. So that's something I think a lot of people, you know, they want to skirt around it, but frankly, it is hard work at times, right? Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard work many times, but I think when you, it's, it's worth the work. Um, and, and it's worth the work because it's kind of like exercising. Um, maybe perhaps some people like the, you know, 
the feeling of pain in their muscles and <laughs> and the sweat and the tears and really pushing yourself to the limit. But your motivation is most likely, I know that this is good for my health. I know that I'm going to get the body that I want or whatever it is that it is, whatever it is that you're working towards. And it's similar to gardening. You know, uh, it's going to be hard work, but it's something about being out there in the dirt, sweating, getting your little workout in, because it feels like CrossFit at some times. I don't know if you if you feel the same way, but I can feel the aching in my back and in my legs and shoulders and fingers everywhere. Mm. Um, but it's it's rewarding when you are able to sow a seed, sow your efforts into something, and see results or and and the results can grow over time. Um, so it's not just you're looking at sprouting and that's it. No, you've got the sprouting, then you've got the, you know, it growing six inches and then flowers start forming. And then next thing you know, you've got a pollinator, butterflies showing up and they're just, it's layers of rewards that makes the sweat and the tears and all of the aches and pains worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more that why join a gym when you have that garden, like put all your work into that garden. And yeah, I think a lot of workouts, you know, basically are based on a lot of the things we already doing in gardening, <laughs> like mm-hmm. lifting and hauling, lifting and hauling. Yeah. So um, <laughs> maybe do a little bit of stretching or yoga in addition to that to get your body conditioned. But other than that, all you need is out there in that garden. Um, so uh, talking about exercise and health and the garden and lessons it can learn, I think one of the big lessons I see a lot of beginning gardeners learn right away is not to do too much too quickly at once. You know, the first warm day of spring, jump out there and do it all. Um, Kind of pace yourself. Um, So what's your philosophy on pacing yourself or setting a rhythm? Yes. So I like to plan and I start planning very early. And the reason why I do the planning, which consists of me really thinking about what am I going to grow? I come from a scientific background and I performed a lot of experience over, over uh, experiments over time. And one of the things that I uh, used to practice is instead of doing everything, trying to compile all of the information and, tr- and, and trying to execute everything in one day or two days, how about stretch this over time so that over time you're kind of executing gradually. Um, And that helps you to not burn out for one. Um, But it also helps you to understand and see things that you may miss when you're rushing. So with my planning, um, I like to, you know, kind of look around you know, take, observe what's going on with the soil. What are things that I need to kind of look forward to or or plan for in the spring? Uh, You know, am I seeing that the soil health is, is, you know, uh, compromised or am I seeing that, you know, like trees, for instance, we've got an issue with trees right now. Do I need some trimming to take place? How can I plan? And also for seeds. Uh, You know, I like to look at my inventory. I have a very comprehensive seed inventory, and that keeps me from going out and rushing and purchasing a bunch of seeds that I know I'm not going to (laughs) use, you know, during the spring. So I like to look at what I have and then 
plan where things will go. And in that, it kind of teaches you a bit of patience in, in, in kind of tempering yourself to, you know, be excited, but uh, excitement in, in one or two days uh, is, is, I like, or excitement over a span of a couple of weeks is richer than excitement in one or two days. Uh, so that's what I like to do uh, to really just kind of, uh, you know, avoid burning out and doing everything all at one time, because then it's kind of like, you know, uh, you want to increase the likelihood of you sticking with it, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you right, it's kind of like a big banquet of food and you're just going to savor a little bit at a time instead of just gorging yourself on everything at once. That's it. And and then the thing is, is that as, as you kind of your garden evolves, you, you find that you, you have set kind of a routine, a rhythm in, you know, what works for you. If going out and doing everything, you know, like every single thing for your garden in one day or two days is works for you, then that's great. But I think it's really just kind of opening ourselves up to the notion that, you know, what works best for my personality, my, um, you know, the way I operate and also my, my garden. Yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think it's really just kind of, you know, understanding yourself and in working within the confines of, of yourself. Hmm. So gardening obviously teaches you about yourself and teaches us many lessons there. And what I was hearing you say earlier was a lot about observation, like sitting back Mm -hmm. and looking and experiencing and feeling the garden before you just go like whole hog into it. Yes. Um, And I, I guess I can just kind of briefly tell, you know, why that, that step is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, When we first started our garden, we actually, um, didn't do anything for like a year and a half uh, on our property. We planned for like a year and a half, um, almost two years, uh, really just looking at everything, observing um, the soil, observing kind of how our, the grading of our, of our property, observing the way the sun comes up and the sun sets throughout the year, um, looking at what type of animals, you know, come into our yard. And of course, as you start introducing foods, you get more, you know, a diversity of animals, you know, Mm -hmm. then, but we wanted to really look at uh, the environment before we began to uh, make alterations to it. That's something I speak about is, you know, working in, in, you know, in, in sync with those, with the things around you helps you to make sure that you're not being disruptive and we didn't want to be disruptive. So we wanted to, uh, ensure that nothing, um, you know, went off course or, or that nothing was, was detrimented by what we plan to do, which is bringing in our edible garden and our pollen, uh, you know, our flowers and all of those things. So, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's, uh, that's what, what we spent time doing. And even to this day, I like to go out and just look at things, observe the, the plants, uh, you know, when you're hustling and you're bustling, it's sometimes hard to 
recognize the pests under the leaves. Sometimes it's difficult to recognize the different types of worms in your soil. Uh, but when you take time to just slow down and really look at the space that you've, you're cultivating, it helps you to become more informed. It, it helps you to, you know, understand uh, what it is that, that you're growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think observation is definitely the key to a good gardener. And I think that's actually the definition of a green thumb in my book is just being observant and knowing, you know, this is the stage of the plant when it's growing. This is the stage it looks like when it's mature. This is when it's stressed. And, you know, there's not too many books that are going to have photos of every stage of every single little plant, (laughs) but it's something you learn by, by experience. And so, you were talking about waiting a year or so before planting. And that's something I advocate a lot for new homeowners is to sit back and and watch and see what's actually in their landscape. Cause you know, bulbs come up, you know, a peony garden could be under there that you didn't know about. And you just dug it all out the second you moved in because you just wanted to go at it right away. So that's, I think, circling back to the lesson of patience and waiting and a year sounds like a lot for some people you know like what i can't i can't start my garden now well you can start planning your garden and observing and looking and seeing where the best place for that will be because where you think your vegetable garden should go maybe for your convenience is not where it necessarily is going to be the best for the plants yeah yeah Spot on. And and even, you know, if you are, you know, depending on the type of garden that you want to grow, uh, I spoke about the soil, but there are infrastructural things under the, you know, mm-hmm. in ground. Uh, there are power lines. There are things that, you know, you want to understand the history of your property. You know, if what types of things were done on the property, you know, was someone just pouring all types of you know, harmful chemicals uh, and pesticides, because that can affect what you put down mm-hmm. uh, in your garden. Uh, so really taking some time to observe, like you said, the, you know, observe what's going on on your, on your property, but that also prepares you as a gardener to be a bit more patient and a bit more, a, a bit more patient with your plants, uh, a bit more patient with the animals and the insects that you interact with but also patient with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was going to say, get to know your neighbors a little bit and ask them what they observed. So, you know, what mm-hmm. was planted here before? And they might say, Oh, I remember this used to be a cornfield, you know, yeah. four generations yeah. ago, or I remember this. And it's always interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll even hear something surprising. Like there was a Creek going through this and you're like, Oh, yeah. that explains why it's always wet back there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in your book, I definitely want to have you expound a little bit on what's chapter six is titled Freedom Through Food, the Power of Homegrown Food for Holistic Wellness. Um, So could you talk about that for a little bit for our listeners? Yes. um, So I, I, I don't know. um, Sometimes when I've gone back through my book, uh, I look at some of these things that you know, I, I poured a lot into really researching this and pulling from life experiences, but also, uh, you know, other experience of, from others, you know, all along the spectrum of experiences as, as, uh, as a gardener. Um, but 
with freedom from food or freedom uh, through food, it's really about kind of this uh, teeing up this idea of what you gain when you have that autonomy uh, of being able to choose the foods that you eat. And what I find that gardening offers is the ability to choose. Uh, I think we can all go through the, you know, the catalogs, the seed catalogs that some of us get uh, every season or once a year. And there are so many options for really good food that you could grow. And freedom of food speaks about kind of, you know, this, this idea that, you know, it doesn't focus on the lack, but it focuses on the opportunity. Um, and that's one thing that I, 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 when I'm coaching clients, really just reframing how we view, um, you know, disparities, how we view access to something that we need, access to things that we, that we, that we uh, want. And um, there's freedom and being able to, you know, decide for one, be informed about what it is that your body needs. There's freedom in being able to work uh, with, you know, the environment and the resources that are around you to kind of create that, to create that access to the things that you need. And in this case, we're speaking about food. Uh, But uh, there's also freedom in being able to understand that you're giving your body, uh, your body, your environment, uh, goodness, goodness to thrive. And I don't know about you if, if, if you've ever eaten something or been in a situation or an environment that just doesn't sit well with you. It doesn't make you feel good. It actually feels kind of like bondage. Uh-huh. Uh, but when you are, you know, recognizing when you are, when you are able to access uh, the things that helps you to thrive, it sets you free. It sets you free in all capacities, mentally, physically, and emotionally. Uh, and, and that's really what, what I feel. Uh, and perhaps what other gardeners feel when they're able to, you know, consume something so fresh out of their garden. And if you don't have a garden and you've been in another space where you've seen food growing, what that's like, it's liberating. Mm-hmm. And as you say, empowering as well to be able to yes. do that for yourself. And one thing I think a lot about is how a lot of us have a scarcity versus yeah. bounty mindset. So if you come from yes. that scarcity mindset where everything is lacking and you really need this and you really need that and there's not enough to go around for everyone, that's going to be really hard, I think, to translate in the garden because I feel like the earth gives so much and is so bountiful to us and there's always more. There's always seeds to share. There's always tomatoes to give away, in my opinion love that you brought that up because that's really the essence of empowering people um, or in, in being an empowered gardener, period. Um, you know, I can, I can definitely uh, say that I have not, um, you know, come from a, a very privileged background, but I have, and, and by privilege, let me define that, uh, you know, I've, I've been 
in food insecure situations. I've been without uh, before. Uh, but sometimes you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Does that make sense? Where you say, I don't want this to wait to come to me. How can I get it myself? The empowerment comes when you start to, you know, even if you are in that scarcity mindset, or even if you're unaware that you are there, it's being able to shift and say, how do I get what I need? How do I go after that? And what do I need to do to get there or or to get that thing? That is empowerment. And that is what I want to encourage, you know, others to do. We are you know, some of us are not born into kind of this empowered state. And typically it takes kind of adversity to get there uh, because they're, you know, in order to become empowered, there's an element of resilience where you're not just, you're not content with being in lack or staying in the mindset of lack, but how do I get to abundance? And if I don't have access to it, how do I create it for myself? Yeah, I can totally relate. I think it wasn't until I was really hardcore gardening, like mm-hmm. really crazy gardening, that <laughs> that abundance switch went off in my brain. And I, I think I always had that scarcity mindset. And then one day I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> it just keeps, the more you give into it, the more you get out of it. The more yeah. you give, the more you get. And that just grew and grew, you know, no pun, in, no pun intended, of course. <laughs> There's so many puns with gardening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And then so many analogies in real life come from gardening. And, you know, it can open every page in the Bible and there's a garden (laughs) metaphor in there. Exactly. Definitely. So um, want to also go back to your book and talk a little bit about chapter seven, lessons learned, virtues learned as a gardener to wrap up our conversation. And we talked a bit about patience and I want to go back to respect. Um, you had mentioned that earlier, and I almost feel like that part reminds me a lot of when a chef says, this was made with love. And you're like, how is that an ingredient? You know, what is, how is that different? I'm pa- tasting both these two pies, but this one's made with love and this one's not. What is the difference there? And that's almost to me like you're saying garden with love, garden with intention. Yes. And back to, this is kind of bringing this full circle and that, you know, what does respect look like in our gardening journey? Um, Respect is twofold. There's respect of the external, but there's also respect of the internal. It's hard to give respect to something if you don't have respect in yourself, within yourself and for yourself. Hmm. Um, So, there's this 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 lesson that gardening can you know teach you to appreciate uh, and 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 really respect every element of this journey but that gardening can can teach you to to really respect every phase of your journey uh, whether you are purchasing your seeds and doing your research um, and being cognizant of what you're 
what you're what you're purchasing and where your resources are going to to procure those seeds, but also what you decide to bring into your space. Um, are you going to bring something that is going to align uh, and be cohesive uh, with your environment? Um, and you know, are you going to try to bring a pineapple and you don't have tropical weather? <laughs> you know, unless you have like a greenhouse, that's fine. But really, just making sure that there's compatibility. So there, it's respect of doing some some diligence and and making sure that we are aware of how things operate. And one thing I speak about in in the book is really just the differences, the differences of species that uh, that are that are you know present in the garden, whether that be plants, microorganisms, insects, you know, birds, rabbits, all of these things, when you have respect for everything and you realize that everything has its place, you're not interested in trying to destroy things. You're not interested in trying to, um, you know, eliminate it for your own satisfaction. But there's something about being able to appreciate you know, the role that every life form plays. And that is respect. That is recognizing that, hey, you need me. I need you. Um, And, uh, you know, we're going to work together. Uh, I need you to, you know, Mm -hmm. lay off of eating my my kale, but I'm not going to do so in destroying, you know, the species and everything around it. But at the same time, in learning how to extend that grace and that respect to others, you'll find yourself treating yourself the same way. Um, You know, when you look into the mirror, being gentle with yourself and recognizing that you too have a role in this earth as a gardener of the community uh, as a, or a steward of the community as a steward of this earth and as a steward of your growing space. Uh, you know, you won't, uh, you're not so, so tough. You don't, you know, speak down or, or speak death on yourself. Uh, you're, you're mindful of the evolution of you. So as we're becoming a gardener, there's, you know, sometimes we think about a gardener and our, our role in the garden, but there's an evolution that has to take place within ourselves. And I highly, you know, I, I really emphasize, you know, some of those virtues that we kind of learn about ourselves as we become gardeners. And then there are, of course, uh, some of the, the more technical garden things that we also learn as well. And the key word I heard in there was appreciate appreciating those differences, appreciating what others bring to the garden Mm -hmm. and those who have come before and who have taught us lessons Mm -hmm. and those who are going to teach us those in the future. And I think appreciation brings us to maybe our last lesson of gratitude and how do Mm -hmm. we practice gratitude in the garden? Man, gratitude is, is something that, you know, I've learned to you know, uh, really implement or uh, from day to day. Uh, so gratitude is simply acknowledging and giving thanks to your garden, to everything that is and that works and that lives in the garden. Um, I am, you know, there are um, things that 
I, I am, a, you know, afraid of, and I speak about kind of this phobia that I have of frogs, but I give thanks to the frogs because they are an indicator species. I give thanks to the things that I don't like because in some way, shape or form, it is needed in that space, but at the same time, it's also teaching me, uh, you know, to 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 be a better human, to be a better, um, you know, organism in the ecosystem. Uh, giving thanks to the plants for exerting the energy and and producing uh, and working with you, you know, it could have died no matter what you've tried to do, and sometimes they do, and you give thanks for that experience as well. Um, there is a, a saying that I, I like to, to, to really think about, and it's counting it all joy, uh, making sure that, you know, we're, we're mindful of kind of these tangible and intangible things that happen uh, around us and in the garden and being thankful for it. Um, I, I also, um, there's a quote that, that I used in the garden that it, gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. Um, the fullness in our lives, but also the fullness in uh, the life forms in the garden. And I believe that. And when you speak life and when you speak gratitude to these things, you have a thriving, uh, you know, uh, you, you thrive as a gardener and then the space around you and everything that you become a steward of can thrive as well. So really just making sure that, you know, we, we, uh, give things to the uh, give thanks to the things that are produced in the garden. Our food, um, being mindful of food waste, gratitude helps us to, uh, you know, uh, appreciate every little thing. I don't know about you, Kathy, but I like to try to eat, you know, consume as much mm-hmm. things as possible, and we get creative uh, over all of the 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 various things that are the various fruits and vegetables that we that we um, grow, and we want to make sure that we are appreciating and 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 really savoring everything that that we that our hard work has produced. So, um, no matter how small or how large uh, a thing is. Uh, give thanks to it mm-hmm. and and it you'll see you know a whole world just kind of blossom so true and yeah i think the more you garden the more conscious you come become of food waste and uh, you know mm-hmm. if i see walk by a garbage can and i see somebody's throwing out half their lunch it's like so upsetting sometimes because i'm like do you know how hard somebody worked to grow that for you um and create mm-hmm. that meal so yeah it really turns that uh, aspect of eating on in your brain that, you know, none of this should go to waste. And if, if anything, compost it, don't just throw it away. Yeah. Yeah. So how can our listeners get your book and how can they get in contact you perhaps by social media? Yes. Um, so again, the title of my book is How to Become a Gardener, Find Empowerment in Creating Your Own Food Security. And uh, that is available for pre-orders on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, really all major retailers right now. Uh, but it will be available in, in person and um and the launch is actually November 1st, so uh, really about a week and a half or two. Um, and I welcome, you know, anyone to reach out to me 
via social media at uh, the.mocha.gardener on Instagram or simply the Mocha Gardener on Facebook. Um, I love communicating and, and just, you know, conversing with 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 people. I love connecting. Um, and if you have any questions, I enjoy talking about these things. So uh, it goes hand in hand with really just kind of, uh, you know, promoting community. And you, we're all a community. So I welcome you to please message me and, uh, or, or, you know, engage with me on social media at those on those platforms. But thank you very much. Uh, for supporting if you have purchased my book or if you plan to purchase thank you so exciting about the book coming out soon that's fabulous and uh so any final thoughts uh for our listeners maybe somebody who has given up on gardening what would you say to them hmm. oh you know to the person i think you you said the ex-gardener i would say you know uh, there's when we think about flowers going through concrete, sometimes the, these are tough situations and you just don't want to grow. But resilience, find your why uh, and, and, and really focus on that why and why you did it in the first place. And instead of just diving in, you know, jumping into the pool, perhaps stick your toe in, uh, you know, take a small step back into it. Uh, because, you know, once a gardener, always a gardener. And, and I truly believe that. So um, small steps, baby steps. And next thing you know, you'll have a thriving garden again. Thank you so much, Ashley. No, thank you. It's, it's really been an honor to, to be here. And thank you for inviting me here, Kathy. Brazilian verbena plant profile. Brazilian verbena, verbena banariensis, is a tall flowering plant that is also known as verbena on a stick, purple vervain, and tall verbena. It is a hardy perennial to USDA zones 8 through 11, and a self-seeding annual that comes back for years in colder zones. It is native to Brazil and Argentina. Note that in some mild climates, like California and Australia, it has naturalized and some consider it to be a weed. With its puff of purple flowers sitting atop long stems, Brazilian verbena looks great planted in groupings or in combination of low-growing plants. It requires full sun and well-draining soils. It is drought-tolerant once established, as well as deer and rabbit-resistant. The flowers are attractive to butterflies and hummingbirds. Brazilian verbena is also excellent for cut flower arrangements. A few new cultivars are on the market. Verbena bonariensis purple haze has one inch size balls of flowers at the top and vanity is a more compact version than the straight species. It is very pollinator friendly and has a subtle evening fragrance. Brazilian verbena, you can grow that. new in the garden this week? Well, my Hamomilus virginiana, the Virginia witch hazel, 
is in bloom and looks glorious. They look like golden little fairies dancing along the branches, They're just looking fabulous right now in the fall garden. Over at the community garden plot, we are still picking okra and peppers and a few less cucamelons. We pulled out the last of the tomatoes though and put in a cover crop and donated some things to the harvest for the hungry. Our October 2022 issue of Washington Gardener Magazine has been posted this last week and the cover story is on Osage orange trees. We also have features on growing native gingers, top tips for amaryllis bulbs, uh, the USDA People's Garden Campaign, parsley, the world's most popular herb, and battling crepe myrtle bark scale among others. So in the local gardening world, we have a few events we want to call your attention to. One is in November on Saturday the 12th at 11 a.m. It is the Maryland Orchid Society's annual orchid auction at the Knights of Columbus Patapsco Council number 1960 on Frederick Road in Catonsville, Maryland. Um, so you'll be able to preview that at 11 a.m. and then the live and public and sound auction is from 12 to 4. Uh, upcoming sooner than that is the Chesapeake Natives Native Plant Open House Sale and that's on Rosaryville Road in Upper Marlboro, Maryland and the date for that is Saturday, October 29th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And that sale features local ecotype native plants. You can find out more about that at chesapeakenatives.org. Happy gardening! In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jensen Terry Spade, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space while also making a lush outdoor living area you'll crave spending time in. Whether you're growing edible plants or beautiful flowers, the 101 amazing growing ideas found in the urban garden will turn your tiny urban yard into a treasure trove of green you'll be proud to share with family and friends. Buy your copy today at your local retail bookseller or order it online now at amazon.com or bookshop.org. introducing a new segment this week called The Last Word. I'm inviting anybody who has anything they'd like to share about gardening to send in an audio file to me at kathygents at gmail.com and we'll share it in an upcoming episode. Just keep it between one and five minutes and on a gardening related topic. So this week's last word I'll start off myself celebrating public gardens. Here's to all the fabulous public gardens we have in our region. Many of them have been celebrating milestone anniversaries. These include the Smithsonian Gardens, which marked its 50th year with a reception in the Haupt Garden recently, 
and the American Horticultural Society's 100th benefit party that took place in September at River Farm in Alexandria, Virginia. Dumbarton Oaks in Georgetown commemorated its 100th year in June. Ledoux Topiary Gardens in Moncton, Maryland observed its 50th in 2021. In addition, the U.S. Botanic Garden turned 200 in 2020, and Green Spring Gardens hit 50 that same year. Other local public gardens have just been continuing on their missions of excellence throughout the pandemic without the anniversary pomp and circumstance. Though all kinds of weather and changes in political leadership, the gardens are there to give us peace, solace, beauty, and exercise. These healing spaces in our community are often taken for granted as part of the backdrop of our everyday lives, but it takes a great deal of planning and work to create and maintain these welcoming places. I appreciate all of the care and devotion the leaders and employees of these public gardens take in making them a source of public education and enjoyment. Many of our public gardens include rare plant collections and art displays that truly make them outdoor museums. Some have community meeting spaces to hold life celebrations like weddings and wakes. Most have walking paths and accessible surfaces for exercising safely. All offer an abundance of beautiful flowers and foliage to soothe the stresses of modern existence. Take some time in the coming weeks to visit a few public gardens near you. While there, thank their staff and consider volunteering. Most accept donations and also have booster or friends groups to join and support. That was the last word. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.